0: Hello and welcome everyone to the Global Migration Podcast Season 2. Thank you to the UBC Centre for Migration Studies for their support. This is your host, Mohamed Saleh, and today I'm going to be having a really interesting conversation with Camille Macmillan-Rambarat. She is from Trinidad and Tobago, and currently she calls Vancouver, Canada home. Hello and welcome back everyone to a new episode of the Global Migration Podcast. Welcome to the show, Camille. Thank you, Mohamed, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much. My guest Camille Macmillan-Rambarat is from Trinidad and Tobago. Today, we are going to hear her story of coming to Canada and both the bright side and the critical side because today's episode's title is Stories of Belonging and Exclusion. Welcome again to the show and let me start by saying Happy International Women's Day. Thank you so much and thanks for having me. Camille, thanks for joining us again. And now I'd like for you to share with us some of your written work. I believe in this part, you are writing about when you first landed in Canada, you came to Vancouver, the place that promised you no snow, but the first thing you were welcomed with was a really tough winter. Please go ahead.
1: The snow continued its out-of-timing display of BC's weather we had heard so much about. With no vehicle and the need to walk or use transit, we felt like penguins in the Arctic. It seemed from a scene most glaring when it was all five of us slipping and sliding with inappropriate shoes and gear. The sidewalk were impassable and almost knee high in snow at times. The internet became our prayer and tool we used to explore BC, banking, the children's school, newcomers support. Our job search had begun in Trinidad before even purchasing our ticket. My husband and I took turns looking at job opportunities. He felt it would be much easier for me to get a job and there were hundreds of openings for clerks, administrative positions, receptionists, and even greeters. And we will find doing whatever we needed to do to provide for our family. Unknown to us, this was not a question of how educated or uneducated we were or pretended to be. This was about Canadian certification and Canadian experience. Two expressions, we would hear for months to come. My first job interview followed a call from a hiring agency for a receptionist position. I was excited and we were so hopeful. You got this, my husband said as he kissed me and watched me as I headed out with my certificates and Google map. I waddled through the snow, one minute on the sidewalk and then in the middle of the road, using the path vehicles left behind as day two struggled to get through. When I got on the bus, I told the friendly looking white-haired driver my destination and asked, am I on the right bus? In a kind voice, he said, don't worry, I'll let you know when it's your stop. And sure enough, he remembered me and my myself by looking up towards me as we approached it. I stepped carefully off the bus, checking my coat pocket, for the Google map, and it wasn't there. I checked the other pocket and still no luck. As I waited for the lights to allow me to cross, I found it in my bag. Not sure what was the next bus to wait for, I began walking and that took forever. Again, walking and slipping in and out of the mountain of snow, looking for footprints left behind so I could literally follow in someone else's footsteps. I did not get the receptionist job. I have heard and read many newcomers express frustrations about the lack of Canadian experience. Soon enough, I understood It is not really about work experience, it is about Canadian culture, the way of life, values and principles, law and regulations, workplace culture, do's and don'ts. I also understood soon enough the need to experience Canadian culture as much as possible by going to the malls, churches, buses, trains, to pick up the free newspapers, especially those in my community, to follow national news, provincial and city news. I knew this was about knowing that Canucks were playing and maybe not doing too well, that BC Lions had a new player, that the Skytrain extension was being discussed again, or that something new was coming to the Bell Center. It struck me also that there was a form of certification for every imaginable thing. And this is what drew us to our city's website, parks and recreation, and our world of volunteering. Job searching was a learning curve. We had over 45 years of work experience, both in the Caribbean and other countries. None of that mattered. We face rejection. We would have hired you, but you don't have Canadian experience. Oh, my all time favorite. We're so sorry, but
0: you're not the fit. Thank you so much for sharing with us this part of your writing. And I have to tell you, I loved, personally speaking, I loved reading your writing, Camille because it is so honest and your writing is from heart to heart. So I thank you for that. And I want you to maybe share with us today on the show, why did you choose to come to Canada in the first place? And why Vancouver? Because I know there is a story about why Canada? And there is a story about why Vancouver?
1: Thank you. So. My grandmother, who migrated to Canada at a very young age, I think she was in her late thirties, early forties. My grandfather had passed, leaving her with eight children. And so her adult kids went ahead, filed for her, and then she moved to Canada. That being said, they would be back and forth. She and my uncle Clyde, who I spoke about, who was hilarious. And Canada always excited me. My first visit, my aunt had provided me as a gift to travel with my cousin, who's her daughter, to Toronto. And immediately, I called Canada home. Canada at that time for me was Toronto. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was so, it was, I am going to my great hair. I love it. I love it. And we really had such a good time. People were friendly, honest, and non-judgmental. I came from the Caribbean, and you were judged and criticized. And my favorite, I shouldn't say my favorite, but one of the things, I spoke about Uncle Clyde a lot, but he took us down Young Street, and he never once said anything ill about those young ladies, never. And I know in Trinidad, I won't even go through what we would call them, right? You just, it's, it's a horrible thing. So I was there at age 16, 17, begged my dad to, to stay. And he was like, nope, come home. And Canada never left my mind. I have been to the US, did a lot of traveling, always came back to Canada. While my siblings all migrated to the U.S. and I would visit every summer, sometimes twice, three times a year, I would not. As time as I got older and married, my husband and I, we just felt, you know what, the kids are getting older. Why not just to apply for permanent residence? And it was really about the children because my husband and I were doing pretty well at home and we felt as they got older, we will just ship them off. And we spent a summer, the children and I came first and my husband joined us two weeks later and they were, they were young at the time, of course, and they just loved it. They fell in love with Canada, the same I did when I was their age, the eldest, right? And things were just nice. And I said to my girlfriend, who I was spending time with, so she has three boys. I had three, two boys and a girl with me. And we are out back because it was a beautiful summer. And the boys were downstairs in the basement playing video games. And she said, so when are you guys moving? And Tasha at that time smoked. And she was so ladylike, the way she would draw on her cigarette. And I said, oh my God, we can't move. It's really for the children. You know, we don't. We want them to have a better life when they're ready to come out of the university. And I said, no, it's Clarence can't handle Toronto winters. He did one and he cried to go home it, it just couldn't. And she looked at me and she drew on her cigarette and she said, why don't you guys move to Vancouver? And I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah. I said, isn't it colder out there? And she said, no. People usually think that, but her brother's out here in BC and she will connect us. (laughs) By the time my husband called me, I said, oh my God, Natasha was saying the winters are so perfect. We could go. He has this really dry, flat tone. And he said, what are you telling me this is just about a holiday could you please focus (laughs) and um, I was like okay (laughs) sure enough he met us and he just that whatever I said he just decided to do his research and fell in love with BC We did lots of research. He woke me up one morning saying, you have to see this place. It's it's just so beautiful. You would never heard of it before. We returned to Trinidad and everyone from the moment we got off the aircraft. So this would have been the end of August, early September. No one said anything. The kids, Clarence and I, it was such a silent, like someone died. And we got home, our home didn't feel right. And Clarence and I was discussing, well, maybe we should and we shouldn't. And two boys came in and they were so young at that time. They came in and they said, could we have a conversation with you guys? And we said, yeah, sure. Well, Jadel and I were saying, we wish if we could migrate, we would. I think they even promise all A's. <laughs> that they could move. And knowing to them, we were planning. And my husband looked at me a couple days later, when the kids returned to school in, in Trinidad, he said, how long would it take you to sell everything so we can move? And I said, about a year. And he said, okay, that's, that's good. So start getting things together. And at that time, I was, I had my home business and we had two cars, the dog, and just tons of stuff. And I'm like, okay. And he came home, he came home one afternoon and he said, Do you think you could sell everything out by for us to be in BC in December? And I said, Which year? Which year are you speaking about? Because can <laughs> we this? Can be this December? And he was like, Yeah. And we did it. Our family felt we were crazy giving up such a beautiful life. And especially they would say, oh, so you guys visited Vancouver before? And you go, no, <laughs> no, we have never been. So how do you guys know you like on oh, the internet, right? And we are going there for the snow, the lack of snow and our family really had a hard time. How could you just give up your lives in three months and just decide to go to a place we rented uh, Well, Leon helped us? They sent photos of this beautiful two-bedroom townhouse. We said yes. It, it was, everything was done over the internet. The only thing that was off when we got here, and you would have read about that, was about the snow we came here that was the irony because of no snow and the
0: snow said welcome to bc i'm all yours on behalf of all our listeners i'd like to welcome you and your family to vancouver and to bc again and uh, thanks again for sharing all about your journey you made this tough decision to come here and leave everything behind You made the decision to come here because Vancouver has the best weather and there is no snow. And when you moved here in the the year 2009, it was one of the worst winters on record where months and months of snow and you had to start over. You were forced to have a real white uh, Christmas, uh, white Christmassy, exactly situation, but for the entire winter, which is not what you signed for. No, no. And this makes sense because in your written piece, when we heard from you, you were talking about how you turned to the internet and how it really felt like you were living in the pandemic age right now when everything yeah. became digital. Uh, that really made me think about that. Wow,
1: um, yeah. I didn't think about that when I was writing it.
0: Well, now moving on, I'm thinking all about uh, your journey and the big question about the cost of immigrating to Canada and what does, does it mean to immigrate to Canada? But I find it really interesting to think about this question from the perspective of a person similar to your lived experiences. I mean, you yourself, you are Afro-Caribbean, you are married to an Indo-Caribbean, and then you move to Canada where there is a promise of inclusion. But your story tells us interesting details about this. First of all, why is the title Stories of Belonging and Exclusion? And how is this two-sided experience
1: when I visited my grandmother and I fell in love with Canada, even after going back at that, such a young age, there was always a belonging to come home, which was Canada for me. Everywhere I went throughout the world, it was, no, I want to go back to Canada. I love it. Because of the warmth and inclusion and diversity and everything Canada sold itself to be. And I still, I don't feel like I've been really accepted for the simple fact before me, it, racism, little microaggressions, you know, my, my children would speak about. And you say to them, you know, you, you need to toughen up. Don't, you know, don't bother with it. We have to keep moving on. And we have three children, two suffered discrimination at school, and coming from a mixed family parents, our children could be anything on any day and My daughter, who's very light skinned, when she would when I picked her up one day from school, you know one kid laughed at her because her mother was black and just a, an N and my this is this was like in grade one or two I want to say about two and that really traumatized her and we had to deal with that our second son and it went on to you know from being followed sometimes by the security who would think you know just the color of my skin would say to people I am not to be trusted. And that was really, really, I really tried to put it out of my mind and just focus on why we're here, Canada's better. And it came a time I could not, not notice it. And I needed to start speaking up for myself, you know, going into purchasing a home. I would walk in, my daughter-in-law, who is half German and half Dutch Canadian, she witnessed it, where I would be told I can't afford something. I can't afford that townhouse. And before, what I would have done would have be polite and walk away. And I started saying I have to stand up for myself without being rude, because as I said in my piece, I run the risk if I push back as nice as possible. The fact that I'm pushing back, I would be labeled the angry Black woman. So I always had to remind myself, keep your voice at a certain tone, your body language, everything, because I will become a threat. That continued and it just kept getting worse. And the worst experience I've had to date, it was working at... A company I really, really enjoyed. I loved working there. I worked hard. I'm a hard worker. I have a good relationship with everyone. And one of the managers who felt that um, I went to Trinidad, it's such a long story and I want to keep it tight. So I needed to go to Trinidad because my dad was ill. And I, I had already booked vacation and I went he died. I was privileged to spend the last three days of his life with him. A couple of days later, getting his ashes, the vehicle got into an accident. So I ended up with a concussion and lower back pain. Send a message to my manager saying, hey, this is what happened. Came back and I was just spent. Visited my doctor here and she said, you need to go on medical leave. And I'm like, oh God, No. I've been gone for two weeks. I have things to do because I'm a workaholic. I have things to do. And she's like, no, you can't because it's a concussion. I was like, please. So I was put on two weeks medical leave, but I'm to work four hours a day, but I have to spread it out. And my company was aware of it. And after the two weeks, I kept getting worse, the concussion. I would literally called my husband crying because everything is spinning and I'm, I'm still pushing through. And this person just called me on my phone and it started off pleasant-ish. My daughter was in the car and I had her on Bluetooth and she just started ripping me through for my, my doctor in the From the first medical, two-week medical, at the end of it, she said, upon reassessment. And of course, by the time I got back to my doctor, she said, this is getting worse. And if you don't go off and take care of yourself, things will be worse down the, the road for you. So I was given one month. When I submitted the one month medical sick leave to go off on the month, I worked like three days before actually going off because I was like, okay, I have to do this, right? So that manager wasn't there. I sent it to HR and I CC'd and the the manager, when she came back, she was upset and she was screaming at me on the phone. I, I could never forget how my daughter grabbed my hand and just covered her mouth in complete shock demanding, questioning, what am I going to do on my medical? I have to tell you, have to tell me, you have to tell me now. And I'm like, my medical note said a month. So I can't tell you it's a month. And she just kept going. You're holding the company ransom. She's screaming. And remember, I'm in mourning. I have a concussion, my back. And we just went back and forth and I came home and it's like, what, what just happened? And again, not wanting to be the angry black woman, I did not respond. You know, we did this thing going back and forth. And I said, okay, I'll call you on Monday and tell you. I felt really horrible to be treated. I didn't want my daughter to feel that when she gets her job and she's in the workplace, that kind of behavior would be okay. And it broke me that my daughter had to witness this. So I came home and that phone kept ringing. She was sending my manager, sending me text messages. I am
0: crying. So unacceptable, so unprofessional. Thank you for standing up and for speaking up. And uh, I think that's an appropriate message on today, on International Women's Day. The message of standing up And given an example for your daughter to follow is uh, a great thing to leave us with. And you know what? Hearing you talk about your journey and how many times you were at fear that made you feel that you can't act. You can't defend yourself because you will be labeled an agri-black woman. And this is so unfair. Yeah. Uh, so and canada shouldn't be about that right exactly canada is still an ongoing story we are all part of making it and shaping it and this is not Mm -hmm. definitely not the canada that i want to live in and partake in yeah
1: yeah that's the main reason because I now suffer from PTSD and, and it's, it's such a long story that I have to write my book on. I'm now an activist for workplace bullying and harassment that employers should not treat. I was attacked on the Monday in the company's car park. I was isolated, I was attacked. And I remember saying when she came out and she ran after me, I, Felt it was a public lynching here it is this white woman attacking me like a slave who ran away and even when i said that to hr they seemed shocked and you know it was it's a horrible experience and my journey now it's really to speak up for targets of workplace bullying and harassment and holding bullies and employers accountable a toxic workplace environment
0: amazing thinking ahead about the future and what it means to be a canadian and reflecting on your story it's a story about belonging and exclusion and i think Mm -hmm. each one of us has an option we can contribute to belonging and giving people stories of belonging, or we can be part of exclusion and, have, and helping people have exclusionary experiences. How can our listeners be anti-racist? Yesterday, I was reading this great book by Ibram X. Kendi. Uh, the title is How to be Anti-Racist. And one of the things that struck me reading his book is, you know, some things like terminology, uh, the term microaggression, for example, it's a term that's been generalized and everybody uses it. But this label, what it's actually covering is actual abuse, violent abuse. So instead of yes. us saying that this action, such and such, is a violent abuse against a person of color, we instead say that this is a microaggression that this person experienced. I, like that. And I think. This language is really important, and I want you, in your own words, share with us and with our listeners, how can we make Canada a more inclusive place? How can we help people find belonging? How can we make Canada non-judgmental to make Canada meet its promise and help people like you find what you hoped for?
1: Well, for me, it's... I've been asked that question all along. And I keep saying BIPOC people, it's not rocket science. We just need to be treated like human beings that we are. People over-science it. And I refuse to be excluded. This is not the Canada that I know. And I refuse to be. And that's where giving voice to people who feel excluded, you have a right to speak up without fear or favor you know what i mean it is about your right as a human being so every time i'm asked that i say well we aren't asking for anything different than you do i don't want to walk into a place and because of the color of my skin you think i can't afford it i'm here to rub oh your english is so good camille what english do you speak in trinidad oh english no, 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 but what other language do you speak uh, English, right? And it's, it's just for people to stop hiding the abuse. And I just want to share with you, I was listening to Brené Brown and I posted it on my Facebook page. I was doing an audiobook by Brené Brown on true belonging and courage to stand alone. And she got to the part... This is just so amazing. So you know the whole all lives matter and I would see people saying all lives matter and you go in order, and I'm quoting her now, in order for slavery to work, in order for us to buy, sell, beat and trade people like animals, Americans had to completely dehumanize slaves. And whether we directly participated in that or was simply a member of a culture that at one time normalized that behavior, it shaped us. We cannot undo the level of dehumanizing in one or two generations. I believe Black Lives Matter is a movement to rehumanize Black citizens. All lives matter, but not all lives need to be pulled back into moral inclusion. Not all people were subjected to the psychological process of demonizing and being made less than human. So we could justify inhumane practice of slavery, end quote. That's how I have felt. That's how BIPOC people are seen as less than. It's not on us as BIPOC people to come up with the magic because we aren't doing the
0: abuse. We aren't, we are being abused. Thank you so much, Camille, for choosing this quote. It's an excellent quote. And before I let you go, I would want to ask you one last question about your dreams for the future.
1: Yeah, my dream for the future is COVID would be no more. (laughs) And, um, COVID would be no more because it's just too stressful and it's unhealthy for for all of us. My dream for the future is really for people to have these conversations and be honest, you know, to say sorry, to say sorry. I didn't, you know, I didn't see it that way. Apologize my dream is to really just live everyone that we could be treated equally equally and until i will continue speaking up for whether it's myself or for anyone i i see who has been
0: taken advantage of that's that's my speaking next up. level yeah amazing and yeah. speaking yeah. up is the note that i want to end this episode on Thank you so much on behalf of all our listeners from the show. Thanks to Camille Macmillan-Rambarat. You're an amazing human. You are an amazing woman that we would like to celebrate on International Women's Day. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you so much.
0: This is Muhammad saleh and you have been listening to the Global Migration Podcast, Season 2. Episode 6 was possible thanks to the support of UBC's Center for Migration Studies. Thank you so much for your support on behalf of all our listeners. This episode was recorded on International Women's Day 2021. It was recorded over Zoom on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish people, including the Moscow, Squamish, and tsleil nations. Thank you again, Camille. Thanks to our listeners. And finally, if you'd like to support the GoFundMe campaign behind the book and the podcast project, you can find the information in the link. See you soon in the next episode.